Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Bede Haynes, based in Sydney, Australia. And before we begin, I'd like to pay my respects to the First Nations people of Australia, past, present and future. Well, today we're speaking with Catherine Firth in her book, Level Up Your Essays, which Catherine has co-authored with Inga Mubon and Sean Lehman. The book is published by New South Books, and Catherine currently runs the academic program at International House, a college in the University of Melbourne, and she's also the co-author of your PhD survival guide and also gives writing advice on a blog called Research Degree Insiders. So if you're at university, Catherine is someone you should pay attention to. Good afternoon, Catherine. Good afternoon, Bede. Thanks so much for having me on the show. No, my pleasure. Now, the first question I have, having read through your book, is who loves unicorns? (laughs) That's my fault. Um, I love unicorns. Um, Throughout the book, we have uh, a lot of uh, examples and we wanted to make the examples fun, but we also wanted to make sure that people um, couldn't, like, borrow the examples and stick them in their essays, which is something called plagiarism. So we... uh, found a fun way to um, make all our examples about unicorns. Um, The unicorns were my idea. Excellent. Um, Well, great. Now, tell us about yourself, Catherine. What brings you to this sort of work and what you enjoy about it? Thanks, Bede. So I, um, my first degree, which I did at the University of Cambridge, was in English literature. So I'm really interested in writing. My PhD was about how writers write so I'm really interested in like what are the mechanics how do people like put texts together I worked as an academic skills advisor reading and giving advice uh, for thousands of students um, writing essays and kind of you know knowing what the problems are and what some of the solutions are I've been a lecturer at university I've marked those essays I've set those essay questions Um, and so I'm just really interested in how do you write, why people write, what makes good writing. Yeah. And I also really like students um, and I really like, you know, helping people because it's so frustrating when you don't know the answer um, and you're working really hard and it's still not working for you and that's what this book is all about. Oh, excellent. Now, the introduction explains the name Level Up Your Essays and Level Up is referred to as a gaming term from computer gaming, the idea being progressing through stages. One thing I wanted to ask about that, and I think this is one way in which I benefit from reading this book, is that there seem, throughout the book there seem to be two overlapping ideas, and it relates in a way to this level-up concept of working up through stages. And the idea that I took away, one of the ideas I took away from this, is that the, the book is about communication through words. So it's almost as though, yes, the student, it's up to the student to get the knowledge from from doing the work, doing the reading. But what the book is about is how you organize, present that knowledge to effectively communicate. Could you comment on that? That is absolutely correct. Um, what we find is if you've 
been quite good at school, you've worked hard at work, you've come into uni, you're there to learn. Um, Students are pretty good at like getting the idea that they should do some reading and listen to the lectures and think the thoughts and gather that information. Um, But communicating it and communicating it in the way that your lecturer expects. So communication is you having good words out, but it's also really um, speaking to your audience. So understanding what your audience is looking for, um, that's a really important stage that helps you uh, take it from you having an understanding to you being able to communicate that understanding uh, in ways that get good grades. Mm. On a related topic, you just mentioned audience there. One point coming through in the book is that the audience is often conveyed to the reader of your work, so the university student, as the lecturer and the lecturer's crew, the lecturer's markers who are the audience. And one sense I gained is the idea is not to fight with the audience or think of the audience as your enemy, but think of the audience as someone who wants to hear from you. And what the writer needs to do is explain their ideas in the way that satisfies that audience and only that audience. Would you comment on that? Absolutely. So I think there are two parts of what you've just said that are really important. Uh, The first one is that a university lecturer is an audience that might be slightly different to the audience you have worked with before in work or at school or when you're, you know, listening to a podcast like this, you know, there's lots of audiences Lecturers are a very specific audience and they've got specific things that they're expecting you to do and not do. But also that point, and it's a really important one, yes, your lecturer is giving you a grade, but they really want you to succeed. Uh, They're absolutely on your side um, and so nothing will make them happier than seeing that you have understood what it is that an essay is supposed to look like and doing that that just makes them so happy so um yes how to make the audience your lecturer your ally uh is really a big part of this book Mm. and Catherine, what do you think about the idea that in the same way a lot of people in my experience at least people get fright about speaking in front of a crowd or being in a play, they might be scared of that concept. And part of your book talks about something, things like straying off topic and really cautioning the the student to remain on the topic. And I wonder if there's a a sense of fear of the person's actually scared that they don't, they just want to stay with the familiar and they don't want the question that they're being asked to push them into uncomfortable places. They might fall into the trap of just saying what they know and not reading what they're being asked to convey. Public speaking is one of the scariest things that we do because we uh, have to use our own voice. We have to, um, we're face to face with our audience. Uh, and you know, if your jokes don't work, nobody laughs. Um, so it's, it's quite confronting. <laughs> but it's also um, a real opportunity for you to step out of your comfort zone and connect with people. Um, and so it can be really tempting I think in writing to not use your own voice to not try to explain any of your ideas just to repeat things that you've read in the in the textbook things that you heard in the lecture Um, but that's a real missed opportunity 
um, both to explore, you know, the fun stuff, right, to explore, to get out there, to experiment, to discover new knowledge. That's what university is all about. But also to connect with other people who want to know, I don't want to just connect with the textbook. I've already read the textbook. I want to connect with you. I want to know what you think. I want to know your ideas uh, as a marker, as a lecturer. And so it's really exciting when people take that brave step um, and try to explain their ideas. Um, that's, that's just so brave and so exciting when that happens uh, and such a moment of opportunity for connection. Mm. I can't see... I don't have access, Catherine, to your bookshelf, but I imagine it would be full of books on all sorts of topics, on all sorts of areas. I, I, I reckon, now tell me if I'm wrong, but you would read and have a critical eye when you're reading the way a cookbook recipe explains a recipe. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I do have a whole bookshelf just full of cookbooks, uh, as well as books about fiction, nonfiction, books about writing, books about travel. Yep, I love to read. Okay. So that, and it came through again in your book, is that you and the co-authors of this book see power in written communication and see that the best, the, the way that that can be best improved best affects the communication the person wants to make. What do you do at a university, in a university situation, where you may have a lot of people who are sort of cut out for it, high, high achievers who really like the university rigour, and then you might have a much larger group who don't want to fail, but for whatever reason, they kind of don't really, they'd be happy with 70% in an exam. How do you draw them into the purpose of your enterprise? That's a really good question. Um, and I was actually thinking about that just before we came on uh, to have our chat. Um, part one of our book, I think, is relevant to everybody. You could pick it up a couple of days before your essay was drew, due, read it, get your head around it, work out what you need to do to be efficient uh, and get your essay in and get through, not fail, not have to repeat stuff, um, not take forever to do your studies. So this book uh, is very, it's its often about like how to do things efficiently, how to know um, what people are looking for so that you don't fail. Um, but there's also opportunities if you wanted to uh, take it to the next level to go up from your 70s to your 80s to your 90s. Um, there are also tips for that. Um, and both are fine. Um, I personally am a person who loves study. I love to read. I like to stay at university. Um, but sometimes you're in a subject, it's a core subject, you need to get through it in order to do the other subjects that you love better. Not failing is really good. Um, <laughs> getting Being efficient is good, yeah. Mm. A concept drawn out in, early in the book, which I often, I think it's great the way that really lively writers can do this, especially in areas where people might think writing is typically dull. So say in scientific writing, you get very creative scientific writers. And 
the con the idea of bridging between paragraphs and signaling where the doc where the essay is going and then just making it all flow and all work. I'd like you to comment on the importance of actually bridging and signaling things so doc essays aren't like staccato pieces of music. They actually have some flow through the sections. Yes. That is um being able to do what we call uh, signposting and cohesion. Uh, Those are the technical terms, um, and they just mean that the piece fits together um, and is experienced as a pleasurable, you read it and it just flows, it just seems to all uh, belong together. There are some really significantly easy things that you can do uh, that, uh, that will make that possible in a piece of writing. Uh, in the book, we suggest that you do that you know yourself where your essay is going, and then you tell people right up front. So just as when we're going, we're going on a bushwalk, and I'm like, "Where are we going?" And you're like, "I don't know. We're just kind of wandering around." That's kind of a bit freaky to me. Um, I, I, I'm, I'll be anxious most of the time through. Whereas if you say, "Oh no, we're going to walk up to the top of this hill, and on the way, we're going to see these cool butterflies and this really awesome tree," and then I know where we're going. And I know to expect it. So then I'm on board with you. I never feel lost. I don't feel stressed. So for me as a reader, it feels like a flowing, safe, um, lively experience. And I'm looking forward at each point to the next exciting thing that you're going to show me. Now I've seen the butterflies. Where's this awesome tree? And that kind of thing really makes a difference in terms of your reader being excited your reader feeling safe, it all flowing. So telling people up front in your introduction, signposting with topic sentences in your par- at the beginning of your paragraph, which is just a little sentence that says, this is what's going to be happening in this paragraph, um, and then explaining again in the conclusion what it is that you did. They sound really basic, but they transform how lively and flowing and coherent your essay sounds. Yes. Do, do you think of essay writing at a, at a university level or essay writing wherever you know what the audience is and the audience has asked you to answer something for them? Most imp- one of them, well, I suppose what's more important, having the right structure that the audience is going to respond to, even if you don't have the, don't have yet have much flair because you're just working out the nuts and bolts of the structure and then developing sort of flair and and create more creativity in the way in which you present that structure or just thinking well the, it's actually more important to have the 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 more more flares more important than the structure should be secondary absolutely at university structure is key structure is the most important thing and we've got a whole load of techniques Uh, in the book about how you can create what uh, we recognize as a logical structure, things like putting things into categories or putting things into chronological order, um, how to structure a logical argument. Um, And that's because university essay writing is technical. It's a technical piece of writing. Um, The flair is nice, but it's an add-on. To use your cookbook analogy, I just want the recipe, I want the technique, I want the measurements. That's the most important thing. Um, And if I'm lucky, there might be a little paragraph at the top with a nice little story and a photograph that's pretty that will um, complement that recipe. But really what I want 
is the technical information structured mm. in a way that I can follow it and I can also make that great recipe. And the book does focus a lot on planning and planning things. And I'll show you this, but the audience doesn't have the benefit of video. But I actually was, I worked on, I'm thinking, oh gosh, I can, I'm, I work in a lawyer's office, but I thought some of these techniques, I can actually work out how when you write a legal advice, there are just some basic plot points that you have to actually work out before you, you begin. And you might do it in your head and get used to doing it, but when you have to go through the discipline some of sitting down and doing a plan, it's actually its own skill. It's actually very a very focused discipline, and it's almost uncomfortable because you don't like you don't have you can't hide behind the letter. You just all you've got to do is write out what you're going to say. But you emphasize planning a lot. What is the the benefit of of actually doing quite detailed plans before you write? The point that you just made, I think, is one really strong one that when you've written it down and it's very clear and you can see it, um, you can't skip over that really important point that you're going to need to make with like, I don't know, write the introduction, something sort of happens here, somehow I'll hopefully have answered the question. So you really have to see where you've got gaps. Um, The other thing that's really good about planning is that it helps you develop a structure. If you use some of the planning techniques that we have in the book, uh, some of the flow charts or the spider diagrams, mm-hmm. for example, um, you can really see where, which parts of your argument are really strong, which parts don't have a lot of evidence, um, and you can see that before you start. So then if you've, got, if you've structured your plan well, then it's more likely that your essay uh, will have that structure. Yes, and you do... The book does actually have well, – one thing I should say for the for our audience is the book is on an A4, A4 size book and it's almost on a sort of rough butchery paper, which is, which is good because you can just write on it. And if you ever felt scared about writing in a book, this book I think will be one in which you won't have that fear because it almost seems to be made to be written on. It's it absolutely of... made to be written on. We went to a lot of trouble to make sure that the paper was really, you know, invited you to scribble all over it. Yeah, well, you've achieved that. It does do that. And you have a lot of these organisational diagrams of how to plan and how to plot. That um, One thing I found is reading through those, you think, mm, this one isn't really the way I work, but this one is or this one is or this one isn't. So I like the one, the fishbone diagram. Mm-hmm. And the um and I wasn't turned on so much by the feather diagram, but they're all there. Did is is the is the idea of having that many to actually work out which people might like one, not the other? That is absolutely correct. Um, people's brains are different. People's ways of working are different. People are working in very different disciplines, so different essays might require different kinds of structure. Um, And if you've got this whole set of things, it's really easy to skip forward. Like you can often see like four on a page and go, oh, I don't like that one, but I do like that one. That's excellent. Even within the team, uh, we have things where there are certain um, styles that Inga uses a lot and other things that I use a lot and other things that Sean uses a lot. So um, we really wanted it to be uh, a toolbox where you found the tools that really work for you, work for your brain, um, and the other ones, 
pick and choose. Yep. How did you plan the layout of the book itself? How each page has two column formats and lots of grey shading and pointers and text boxes. How'd that all come together? That was a really big part of our um, collaboration with our publishers. So a book uh, kind of starts with authors, but uh, in this case it was uh, created through a collaboration between our publishers, New South, uh, and our first editor, um, Pip McGuinness, who uh, had a conversation with Inga Mewburn and they came up with the, with the idea. And so the visual aspect of this uh, and the layout team uh, at New South are amazing was a really big part of thinking how do we want this to look how do we want it um, to be interactive so our big things we were looking for we wanted it to be really interactive the worksheets the nice paper the Mm. big margins um, this should be easy for you to photocopy if you think I'm going to use that 400 times absolutely whack it on the photocopier and like churn out a whole load of like note pages or um, planning diagrams that's so really kind of interactive in that way we because it's a4 you don't want great big slabs of text we wanted it to be really easy to read fast to be comfortable to read uh, and to be able to skim through so you could find the bits that would be useful for you Um, and so the columns uh, there's lots of headings there's lots of pull out boxes that sort of tell you oh this is the main point Um, and at the end of every chapter we also you know wanted to have a little summary so that you were like oh I know how to find stuff so it was really easy to use easy to read and felt light felt not too much work to kind of slog through we want you to save your brain space for your essay not to spend it all reading our book yes that sense comes through and um because it does it doesn't it's not overly long in the sense that it's not a, a it's a book that you can just work with rather than a book you might a, a, it's not a, it's not a, a thick grammar book of any by any means it's actually a working book and I want to talk about chapter four how to write a convincing argument one of the concepts here is a lot of focus is given to this idea of what you have to say is not just recite the facts but make a truth claim and I imagine that that's something that people would naturally or hopefully would naturally do when they have an argument with someone about which is a better football team or something like that. But the it's almost as though when you read it and you think, gosh, a truth claim, what this sounds a bit, sort of a bit, I don't know what this even is, a bit I don't, metaphysical almost. And you, But you really go to trouble to explain the idea of making a truth claim. So can you talk about the importance of that? Absolutely. Perhaps the biggest difference between school essays and university essays is that at school we want you to like show that you've understood the material uh, and that you can balance things on the one hand, on the other, in conclusion, a little bit of both. By university, we want you to show you we want you to show that you have gone a level up uh, and that you have reflected on things and come to your own opinion. Um, you're like, actually, I think on reflection this one more than that um and so but you can't just say that you can't just be like the cats are good or you know no I support the lions you know so you can't just have a emotional reason for that you need to have a logical 
reason for that. You need to make a claim that what you are arguing is true or could be true or is more true than the other options. And that's what we mean by a truth claim. A truth claim is not just a thing that is a statement of fact. I'm just finding the bit in the book so that I make sure that I'm using exactly the same words. You could say, for example, in the book, a statement of fact is people in Australia farm unicorns for their magical hair. You can go out, you can check that, you can like look at it and be like, yes, I have seen that happen with my own two eyes. That's a statement of fact. But I want to go further. I want to argue that unicorns are critical to the economic prosperity of Australia. Now I'm making a claim. And that claim I need to back up. It's not just true or false. It's like, oh, well, what are your reasons for that? Um, there are no reasons to believe that uh, people in Australia farm unicorns for their magical hair. It's either true or not true. But I could make a claim uh, and we were like, oh, that's a thing we could debate. And once we start debating it, then I need to construct arguments. I need to produce evidence. I need to make a logical um, structure so that you understand why I think that. And maybe you could be convinced by it. Mm. In the same place, you mentioned it just then, that you're not, obviously an essay isn't after something that's on after an emotion. Another sense I took away was that even though the word argument is used, it's not a fight. It's just the persuasion. It's just a way of, 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 of a saying this is my point of view and here's why I have that point of view and then it's thrown out into the air and it can be debated and, and tossed around. How is there a, a need to emphasize that it's that taking a position in a university paper isn't meant to be a fight. You're not trying to fight someone. That's absolutely uh, a really important point. Um, and I think we make that quite extensively. Uh, we make it a little bit in this, uh, in this book and we make it extensively in our previous book for PhD students written with the same team, How to Fix Your Academic Writing Trouble. Um, when you're making an argument, um, an argument is a technical thing. It's not emotional. There should be no crying. There should be no shouting. Nobody's feelings need to get hurt. That's not what this is about. Um, it's an argument is a way of constructing um, your idea that is a claim that is backed up. Um, yeah, so I think the fact that it has the same word uh, as a thing where you might actually get into a fight uh, with lots of emotions, um, that's actually really confusing to people. Mm. And so understanding that they're different things but they use the same word is just really helpful. Yes. Chapters five and six focus on words, sentences, and grammar, ways in which to make the, the words be more effective in communication. One question for you, Catherine, is I went to university myself after going through school, and I entered school in kindergarten, and I left school after year 12, and I went into university. And why are people who would turn up at a university having been done nothing much other than full-time education in Western education in English, having to be told, this is how you write words, this is how you write sentences, this is how you use grammar to make communication work? So there's a couple of reasons for that. 
One of them uh, is that for many years, um, grammar, this is not true anymore, um, so I hope this will be less relevant for people who are coming through school at the moment, but for many years, grammar wasn't taught in schools in places like Australia, the UK. Um, instead, people were encouraged to just get a sort of instinctive feel for the language. Um, and so when you are trying to write much more difficult sentences, um, new vocabulary, big ideas, complex thinking, um, often if you're getting the best grades, you're trying to have original ideas. So you're really trying to push the boundaries of knowledge, which often push, pushes the boundaries of language, when you're trying to wrangle all of that, it's really useful to know um, what the rules are because your instincts might not be able to get, guide you anymore. So on the one hand, there often wasn't um, that background. You learnt grammar by learning a foreign language or you learnt grammar because you went and studied at a university uh, or you learned English as a second language. So those are the reasons that people might have known grammar for a long time. Um, and the other reason is now that we're doing this much more difficult kind of writing, uh, it's very useful to you know, follow, go back to the basics uh, and kind of remind ourselves of some of those things that perhaps we kind of not looked at since we were eight or nine and now the writing's a lot harder. Mm. With, with writing as a, as a skill, recently... In the last few years, I've seen things like audiobooks come into their own, especially with technology like Bluetooth and mobile phones and, and head, wireless speak, wireless headphones. You can listen to a lot more. Do you think there's benefit in hearing it through your ears good writing rather than reading it and hearing the voice in your brain saying it aloud? I think that is a really excellent strategy. Um, most people speak and listen more than they write and read um, just in our sort of day-to-day -day lives. Um, so our hearing is often a really sophisticated way to take material uh, into our heads. So listening to good writing and absorbing really excellent writing through our ears is a fantastic strategy. Um, it's a really good way to also listen to your own writing. Um, when we're talking about getting into flow, flair, using our instincts, um, often when I listen, I do this myself, when I listen to my own writing being read back to me, you know, by the computer voice, I'm able to hear where it works and where it doesn't work, where it's interesting and where it's boring or confusing. Um, I'm able to do that through my ears um, rather than through my eyes. And I suspect uh, that that's going to be true for a lot of people. Mm. And with great writing, if a person, for example, is listening or reading or listening to someone, take Jane Austen, and they, list that, and they listen to that and then they go away and write themselves, is if someone did the same thing listening to a piece of Mozart and then went away to write music, you would never expect a person to become within a at all close to what Mozart did. It's almost as though when examples of good writing are used in books, it's almost sort of saying, "But you can do this." And it seems is there is there, there must be a big gulf between just the the geniuses and the rest of us. Mozart has 
that spark of genius, but he also had really great musical education. His parents were musicians. His sister was a musician. He got, uh, he learned how to, the technical things about how to play the piano, how to compose, all of those things. So he got a lot of skills. He had a lot of opportunities to practice. um, And he also had that inspiration, that flair. Um, And he was hearing a lot of music. So he was getting those examples and all of those opportunities. There is a huge gap between hi, here's some Mozart, now go be a composer with no skills training, no opportunities to practice, no technique. Um, That would be mean. Um, But if we gave people writing techniques, which is precisely what Level Up Your Essays is about, um, if we gave you the tools, if we give you chances to practice um, and you get chances to do it in sort of semi-public ways like writing an essay for somebody to mark, um, that's those are really great opportunities for you to develop as a writer uh, and perhaps to develop as a really good writer. Um, and certainly not all of us will be Jane Austen, um, but most of us can write well in a way that other people um, enjoy reading. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's also worth thinking then of writing essays and things as not just doing the subject but learning a valuable skill that's just in the same way that you would learn to play tennis or play play music? 100%. Um, at the very end of the book, we have a little afterward um, about thinking about other ways that this kind of writing skill uh, might be used. So you might write for the public or um, write for your, you know, university magazine or enter creative writing competition. So thinking about other ways that you might be using your writing skills because definitely um, you might use it for blogging or being an author. But also I have never had a job where I didn't have to write reports or, you know, (laughs) structure legal Mm -hmm. briefs. Um, You know, there's a lot of writing that the skill that you get from university essay writing, absolutely you'll be using it all over the place. Okay. One takeaway that I've, when I've read it, I thought that is actually true and I've made that mistake before, is editing takes time. Editing is not this thing you just do on the bus on the way into university when the essay is due. It's actually part an important part of the process. Can you talk about editing? Absolutely. Editing is, um, is is something that I think a lot of people don't learn to do for essays because they learn to write essays in exam settings. And when you write an essay in an exam setting, you know, you've got 45 minutes to write this thing. You spend as much time as you can just trying to get ideas down on the paper. Um, it's handwritten. There's no chance for you to go over it and you know restructure it or choose different words. Um, so people aren't kind of trained to spend the time uh, to edit When you're writing an essay that's going to be uh, handed in as a piece of coursework, however, editing becomes really important. And, of course, now everything's on computers. You can edit something four or five or six times. Um, That may or may not be worth it, but definitely editing twice will massively improve things. The first kind of editing that we suggest you do is the structural stuff. So sometimes you've had a go, you've written a draft, and you're like, it still doesn't really make sense. It's still kind of awkward and ugly and messy and 
that kind of go through like what belongs in the essay, what do I need to cut out, what order should mm. the paragraphs be in, is it logical, have I done the signposting? So that kind of edit, doing that is hugely, hugely important. Um, and also just taking the time to do like run your spell check over the essay, uh, check that everything's in the same font, um, use your grammar checker and just kind of tidy up those last little details. Um, all of these are really important because when you look at how grades are assigned, a lot of grades are sort of 10% is often there for those sort of little spelling, grammar, citation, formatting kinds of questions. So taking some time, about 10% of your time maybe, to get that right is really worth it. And often 30 or 40% is there for well-structured, um, coherent, cogent argument uh, kind of things and therefore um, spending a good amount of time to make sure that you're meeting that and having another go if you didn't quite get it right perfectly the first time is absolutely essential. Mm. One of the benefits um, about one of the benefits about things like editing you were saying then that I've found in, even in my work now is where there's this, a, a method or a set protocol for citations or something like that and realizing that getting a citation wrong can have a negative consequence because you might lose a mark you might something might you might get a red pen circle on a piece of paper when you get it back or if you did it on paper on the computer at least but the i think one and i like your comment on this one of the one of the benefits i found about that is the first of all you've just got to suck it up and realize i have to just get this right Mm -hmm. Then once you realize that, you actually have to then go through it and start making sure you've got the comma inside or outside the bracket, that sort of thing. But that actually trains your your eye to actually start reading, not reading the content of the words, but reading the actual the actual strikes of ink on the paper or on the screen. So you almost start proofreading it. It almost develops a skill of proofreading. It gives you a real benefit in that way. Absolutely. That when I was talking before about those two kinds of editing, one of them is about what you've written, what the ideas are behind the words. Um, and then that spelling, grammar, citation, punctuation stuff is really, as you say, it's about those marks on the page. Um, what the words are is is not so important in that. That's really about getting those details correct. Um and that really makes a difference. I mean, you think about whether or not you kind of understand why citation formatting makes a difference, um, but you can think about lots of other parts of our lives where getting a comma wrong or a full stop wrong makes a huge difference. Finance, you put the full stop in the wrong place, suddenly you've gone from having <laughs> 10, you know, we've all done this, like trying to put the numbers into the credit card machine and you're like, I don't no, no, that was a $1 <laughs> tip, not a $100 tip. Um, you know, things like that, computer programming. There's a lot of places where that small attention to detail makes a huge difference in our life. And that's one of the things that we're training you to be able to do is see that detail and know when it makes a difference um, and be able to get it so that it's exactly right. Hmm. Now, I imagine... Catherine, you often get asked questions about grammar and style. So I want to ask you a question that I imagine you're asked all the time and you're going to think, hmm, that question again. Do you use a serial comma or an Oxford comma or not? 
<laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm a pragmatist. So when I'm writing for myself, um, if it's a very short, so a serial comma or an Oxford comma is used in a list, in a sentence, um, and some people think that they're, that when you have three things in your list, eggs, bacon, and cheese, you should have a comma after the eggs, after the bacon, and and then and cheese is separated from bacon. Uh, and some people think that you don't need that. It's quite clear that there's eggs, there's bacon, there's cheese. In one place you separate them with a comma and in the other place you separate it with an and. I think pragmatically whatever is going to make things clearer. So if it's not clear, if it's like an egg sandwich or a bacon and cheese sandwich is different than eggs, bacon, cheese, um, then I might put a comma in. If it's really clear, I probably leave it out. But I mostly write for publication these days. Uh, every publication has its style guide. I just do whatever the style guide says. So some places are very into the serial comma and some places are not. Um, and so I'm, I'm a pragmatist about being consistent uh, with their style. Okay. And as a, so you're not a prescriptivist when it comes to grammar and writing. You're more pragmatic about it all. I am absolutely not a prescriptivist. I am very pragmatic because what I really care about is my audience understanding what it is that I'm trying to say um, and being able to do that as easily um, and fluently and enjoyably as possible. Mm. And if, if you came back, if you could time travel into the future, 300 years in Melbourne, and they no longer had, they no longer used the word you for singular and plural, but they used yous, would your heart go, what on earth has happened to this language of ours? Or oh, I'm a pragmatist, that's just how language goes. I would absolutely be for uh, a, something that is clearer. Of course, in the old days, um, back in history, we used the uh, as a singular you, and you was the plural, uh, or the formal kind of form. So we don't use the, thou anymore. Mm. Uh, we use you, but of course, we still have the problem that sometimes I want to be talking to you personally, Bede, and sometimes I want to be talking to yous, everybody who's listening to this podcast. Um, so anything that helps us understand, that's uh, what I am looking for. Mm, very good. Note-taking. I will start winding up and I wanted to ask a little bit about note taking and um, you have the the Cornell style note taking I think that's one of the recommended ones one thing here was I got the impression that one of the benefits of note taking is once again it's a discipline and it's not as though in a sense you'll be better off having notes next to a textbook and no such thing as a highlighter than a textbook that's just covered in highlighting because the note-taking involves a deeper level of thought and interaction with the book. Absolutely. When you're taking notes, uh, when you're reading, it's useful to have uh, a couple of different strategies. So I do use highlighters and underlining when I'm paying attention. Uh, so reading to help me kind of stay with the reading to kind of Stay with my brain switched on. Um, but if I'm going to start using that reading in an essay, um, mm. I personally use the Cornell method of note taking, uh, which is a strategy for note taking uh, invented by Walter Cork, uh, who then 
worked for Cornell University in the US uh, in his book, How to Study in College, which is still, um, you can still buy it. Uh, And the version we suggest in the book uh, has a place for you to take to write down to write down your quotes and paraphrases, uh, places for you to identify keywords and themes, uh, and a place to do a, an academic prose summary. Um, and it's those extra bits that are really essential in good note-taking. Um, people who are highlighting um, might be doing all of those things in their head, um, but it's really useful to have written them out on a piece of paper, especially if you're reading lots and lots of books or lots and lots of articles for an essay, um, really helpful to have that on the paper, that discipline of going, what are the key themes? How will I summarise this in my essay? Um, yeah, so that is really, that's really what's useful. Uh, and that's why we recommend both the Cornell method and things like the literature re- review matrix, you know, really kind of okay. getting that well, down on paper. like the ask you one maybe final question which is how has computing and online technology what how has that actually improved the the way of writing essays what tools are there what strategies can be adopted from those types of new technologies computers have absolutely transformed uh writing um they've put into the hands of you know, even, you know, first-year undergraduate students, the kind of desktop publishing powers that used to be um, need a whole team of people to do. So, um, one, it's very easy to write and then to rewrite. So we suggest, you know, like maybe doing a first draft that's really quite rough and then editing it. Uh, and you can easily go over it lots and lots of times, whereas if you talk to your um, your grandparents probably now who are, you know, doing things with typewriters or handwriting, um, doing one or two or three drafts was so much more work in the old days. Most computers now have really amazing um, tools built into most of the big um, writing softwares, things like MS Word, your spell check, your grammar check. Um, you can get the computer to read your text aloud to you. You can uh, format footnotes. It can actually format the footnotes in the correct style inside your word processor. You can do your headings so that you can see an outline of your whole essay. Um, yes, yeah, so many amazing tools mm. just inside your word processor let alone the things that you can get uh, if you start to go out onto the internet or uh, get some specialist tools. It's amazing. Well, that is great. Um, could you let us know, Catherine, to finish up um, what you're working on now and if you have any sort of websites or things of your own which people might be able to link into to gain some of your wisdom? Thank you so much. Uh, Yes, so I'm currently actually working on some academic writing. So I write about writing uh, and then I also uh, do my own research. So I'm currently working on a book about Martin Luther uh, and the arts. Um, I put out two books last year, so both Level Up Your Essays and uh, another book called Your PhD Survival Guide, which is for people in the last year of their PhD. If you'd like to read more of what I'm doing that's more in this kind of level up writing about writing space, uh, you can go to my blog, 
researchdegreeinsiders.blog, um, which is definitely the best place I put out new material most weeks. Um, and if you like things a bit like that and more, uh, my co-author, Inga Mewburn, is The Thesis Whisperer. Her blog, thesiswhisperer.com, uh, is also a fantastic resource uh, for this kind of material. That's, that's great. Well, thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much for your time. I recommend the book immensely, Level Up Your Essays, How to Get Better Grades at University by Inga Mewburn, Catherine Firth, who's been with us today, and Sean Lehman by New South Books, 2021. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and thank you to our audience. If you like what you've heard today, please don't be scared to place a review on wherever you listen to this. And once again, Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on, Peter. It was a real pleasure. No worries.